This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Now to have him on the team, man, it's, it's incredible. And then, uh, you know, I had a lot of people who reached out to me who did play with him. So I'm going to love him as a teammate. You know, he's a, a great guy. You know, um, don't get caught up in all, you know, the, the hype and stuff about, you know, him being a superstar and all that. Like, he's just a humble guy. He's just one of the guys in the locker room. And uh, so far, that's what it's been like, you know, and, um, you know, to finally, you know, have a, a guy who with that championship pedigree on our football team, man, is going to be, it's going to be a blessing to be a part of. Hopefully I can learn a lot from him and hopefully, uh, you know, he can take us to the you know, promised land, and, which is in Tampa this year. So that's, that also be a great thing as well. Was that Levante David or Devin Bush? <laughs> David. We were, we were talking about their Tampa Bay defense, but I didn't know which one you yeah. were playing. Yeah. Does anybody care about the Tampa Bay defense? <laughs> Who? <laughs> Name four guys Who? on the Tampa Bay defense. Uh, and Dominican Sue. Levante David. Levante David. Devin Bush. <laughs> Devin Bush. Uh, Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett. Um, Should probably have led the list. It's a good call. Oof. Corners I'm kind of struggling with. Hargraves is gone, right? Yes. Dang. Yeah, that's all I got. Sorry. Um, you got any more, sorry. Brent? No. I okay. wasn't even thinking about it. Really. I was just putting you on the <laughs> Didn't spot. even cross your mind. Who's call that number uh, and we'll get our next guest on at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I just texted Coos yeah. and uh, said, uh, whoa. Okay. Oh, by the way, we're going to have Greg Coleman Jason on. Jason Peter Paul would have been a, a name, oh, too. Oh, very good. Yeah. He's still there. But God, talk about a guy you kind of forget about, but... He, I mean, he was he was in my draft. I thought his career was maybe over. Yeah, and bounced back nicely. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, man. Um, the first time I ever met Jason Pierre-Paul, we were flying in for the combine in Indianapolis, and he was in the airport. And you know, like obviously, it's instinct, right? When you're at the combine, you size each other up a little bit, you know, and you can see what this guy's got, you know. And, and I knew who Jason Pierre-Paul was. I saw the backflip video where he does it 25 times. I couldn't do it one time, so he had me beat there. But I remember like walking past, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul during the bag check. I'm just like, yep. Makes sense. Makes sense why he's probably going to be a first-round. Really? I mean, his arms, dude. How many guys have you, you, you know, you're a big guy, 6'6", six, six, yeah. 245. Yeah. But how many players have you done that Where it's over yeah. the years? Like, you look at a guy like, whoa. Okay. Like, uh, I'm big, but that guy's really, like, Calais comes to mind, right? Calais Campbell, for sure. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, uh, Greg Jones. Obviously, oh, yeah, you know, call. I mean, Captain America, Bellica, G.I. Joe, uh, Greg Jones sticks out to me. Um, Brandon Jacobs from the New York Giants running back. That dude, like, listen, we, we played against like, you know, who's the guy from Cleveland? Um, the running back uh, cover Madden. Uh, uh, I, can't yeah. believe, I can't remember his name. Ah, what is his name? Had the one great year. Yep. Oh, come on. I got You're it, man. Hang on. Hang this. on. I know what we're uh, struggling, man. And I apologize. I bet, uh, I bet pa- our next pa- guest could find uh, Payne Hillis. Payne Hillis. Payne Hillis. Yeah. So, like, you know, <laughs> Payne Hillis was a bigger dude. But, dude, Brandon Jacobs coming in at 250 pounds, squatting a house, runs like a 4-6-4-7, coming in the A-gap to meet me, running a pirate technique. Woo. Yeah. So. Well, kind of like Derrick Henry now. Kind of like Derrick Henry now. Good call. And by the way, Derrick Henry looked like that in eighth grade. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I've serious, heard. man. Like, we would go cover. I'd go up to Yuli. Yeah. And every year we'd go out and do something with Derrick. Yeah. In eighth grade, he looked like that. 
In ninth grade, he looked even bigger. In so, tenth grade, he looked even bigger. So, so what you're saying was like Andy Reid with a pump pass in football competition when he, back in the day. Like he just kind of outsized everybody. Derek Henry the same way, except you know playing high school football. Yo, a few less donuts for Derek. A man amongst boys, though, to say the least. Uh, we almost had to phone a friend there on the Peyton Hill. I know, front. man. I wonder if Greg just Coleman would have would have been able to bail us out. He joins us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We were searching for Peyton Hillis, Greg. You guys were struggling, man. And Austin, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I mean, you got hit in the head too many times, man, trying to, you know, fill in that A gap. But uh, you, you pulled it off. You pulled it off. You made it work. Hey, this, by the way, you'll get a little trash talking already from Greg Coleman. Probably like just it. got off the golf course. Okay. And it comes from a putter, man. I know, it comes man. From a putter. He's going to play it here on the show today. Guys, listen. Punter was my position. Just because I was a punter that happened to be a great athlete, shouldn't be penalized, right? <laughs> so you know, it, so so don't start that stuff with me, all right? But uh, no, it's good to be with you guys, man. If you can't have fun doing these these times during this uh, pandemic and in the COVID nineteen and all of that stuff, man, you got to find something. Uh, to escape, to laugh, to have a little brevity, and, and you guys bring that to this audience. Greg Coleman with us here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. All right, we got to go in the history books a little bit here, and I've been around since 2008, so uh, I always learn a little bit more about Jacksonville history. Uh, we're doing a big baseball show on Friday. I've been having a lot of fun looking that kind of stuff up. Uh, John Bachman down at uh, on the news desk for CBS 47 and Fox 30 knows Greg very well, and we've been talking about Greg for a while, so he connected us. And Greg's down in the area, uh, back in the area, from Jacksonville, went to Reigns High School, played at FAMU, played for the Minnesota Vikings, drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, and still very much involved uh, with the broadcast crew of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, how many folks do you have to remind of your story, Greg? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I, I don't know, Brent. I mean, it comes with the territory. It comes and goes. I mean, especially if you're not from this area. Yeah. If you didn't focus on the old uh, NFC Central uh, division, which is now the NFC North, uh, which is where I spent most of my time. Uh, you mentioned being drafted by Cincinnati, but didn't make it that first year after being drafted by FAMU, but came back and, and taught school here in Jacksonville. Um, also had a brief stint. Uh, in law enforcement with the uh, state attorney's office as a as an investigator. So, you know, my roots go far and deep uh, here, uh, even though I've been in, in the uh, in the Minnesota area for the last 30, 35, 40 years. Uh, this has always been home because I, I would always come back. Uh, you know, mom was here, you know, family was here. And obviously every year coming back uh, to announce the Bob Hayes track meet, uh, I think I've only missed one. That's when my daughter got married uh, years ago. But since I graduated from Reigns, I've, I've come back. Uh, actually, graduated from FAMU in 76. I've come back and I've been the announcer for the Bob Hayes track meet uh, all of those years. And Bob and I uh, developed a relationship, obviously the FAMU connection, uh, the coaches here in the Jacksonville area. It's a very close-knit community. And got a chance to to know Bob uh, outside of his fame, uh, being the only man to uh, win a gold medal and a Super Bowl ring, the only man in history to win a uh, Super Bowl ring and a gold medal. So this community is rich 
in deep with with great athletes and great stories. Uh, you can start from from A to Z, and 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 it just goes on and on. And I just happen to be one of the fortunate ones to uh, have come from this community. Uh, it's it's been good to me, and and hopefully I've been good to it. But um, there's no place like home. Absolutely. Greg Coleman with us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. And, and Greg, I love this. I told you I've, I've been here since 2008, but I, I'm from Rhode Island. If, if a guy out of Rhode Island makes it to the big leagues or makes it to the NFL or, heck, goes to a Division One school, mm-hmm. it's like breaking news in the lead story. <laughs> Around here, it's like on the last page. I mean, it's just like another guy. It, it's unbelievable the talent uh, that it comes out of here in all sports. But you talk about Reigns High School, and again, I just don't know if we celebrate it enough sometimes. From Brian Dawkins, who we now know uh, is in the Hall of Fame, uh, to you and your cousin Vince Coleman, who actually played football before uh, becoming a star in Major League Baseball. And, and the, the names go on and on. And Duran Wiley has brought him back to prominence as of late, and now he's no longer the coach, but a couple of state titles, which I'm sure you're proud of. Uh, but Reigns has been just a factory. What is it? about Reigns High School over the last, oh, maybe three decades, if you will, maybe four, uh, that has produced so much NFL talent? It's pride and respect. Uh, having pride in your community, respecting the history and the tradition. I mean, I can remember uh, when Reigns first opened, it was, it was not called Reigns High School. It was called School 165 hmm. uh, because that was the name of the school at that point before it officially got its name. And you talk about the history of, of, of athletes. You talk about Kenny Burles, who, who had an illustrious career with the Houston Oilers. Uh, Harold Carmichael, uh, recently named to uh, NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, and the list goes on and on and on. But, but let me tell you this, this quick story. When, when we were in high school, junior high school, we used to come back, and, and it was almost like an NFL training camp up at Reigns High School. You had Kenny Burles to come back. You had Harold Carmichael. You had Ken Riley, who was living in the area. You had Willie Brown in the area. Ken Riley would bring Lamar Parrish and, and Kenny Anderson. I remember Isaac Curtis coming down uh, for a couple of those years. You had Booby Clark. Uh, you had Harold Hart. You had Truck Robinson. You had so many guys that would come back and don that field over off of Mon Avenue. So when we got to to, to play and compete, we were we were not intimidated by anything because we had been tutored by some of the best in the world, some of the greatest athletes in the world. And, and I forgot Al Denson uh, was from here, and and he would bring Floyd Little down. I mean, so that community was so rich in tradition and pride and respect. And each generation paid homage to those who went before them. I mean, so we all are, are drinking from wells that we did not dig. So we're, we're standing on the shoulders of, of others. And if you get somebody who says, man, you know, I did it all on my own, he's lying. You know what? We all pay homage to, to somebody who came before us who paved the way. And, and, and that's all we're doing. We're paying it forward, man. And, and Reigns High School is a – let me tell you this. My last count, my last official count, of guys who have graduated from Reigns High School that have either donned a NFL uniform, Major League Baseball, or NFL uniform was 
78 or 79, and, and, and I know I'm missing some guys mm-hmm. that have gone on uh, my Little League football team. There were five of us off my Little League Pop Warner football team that made it to the big show. Uh, my, my roommate, Terry LeCount, uh, from Reigns High School, was a sophomore when I was a senior. Uh, went to the University of Florida to the second African-American quarterback. The first African-American quarterback was Don Gaffney. The, you know, the tradition of the Gaffney brothers and LeCounts. And, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, man. You don't have enough time on this show to really talk about the history of Reigns High School. <laughs> yeah, I know it. And, and you know, it's something it's, – it's amazing when you talk Greg Coleman with us. Uh, went to Reigns, uh, obviously uh, played in the NFL for a long time as a punter, uh, most notably with the Minnesota Vikings, still involved with the NFL and the broadcast team. And and as a Jacksonville guy back in the area and, and kind enough to join the show, you know, I, again, Greg, I've been here since 2008 and I, um, I beam with pride for reigns. Uh, and I've only been around here a dozen years or so. I can only imagine the folks that grew up around reigns, grew up in Duval, grew up in the Jacksonville area. It's such a, a, a point of pride and it should be. And most recently, Solomon Kinley added to the list. So don't get don't forget to add him to mm-hmm. your number sheet uh, because yeah, he just absolutely. got drafted. Uh, you, you, Absolutely. I, I've got to ask you about something you said. And sure. this, uh, you you mentioned you got drafted by Cincinnati. I think it was in the 14th round. They had, they had more rounds back mm-hmm. then. So you did not play. And you said, did you come back home and teach right after and then go back to the NFL? I think your first stint was with the Cleveland yeah. Browns. How did that work out? Yeah. That's a very unique path. Well, I, I came back after getting cut um, because of focus. You have an opportunity. And if you don't take advantage of those opportunities – if you get caught up in the glitz, the glamour, the light of what, you know, making it to the show, and if you don't handle business, if you don't take care of the things that you need to, you'll be a what was, not what is. Uh, unfortunately, um, I, I came back, didn't make it. Uh, I taught, uh, I, I substitute teach, uh, taught school here for a little bit over at Reigns. Uh, then I got a permanent job over at Forest High School. Um, because they thought I was done. They wanted me to coach. But I said, listen, guys, know that I'm going back. Uh, I came back, and I had so many, so many substitute moms and substitute dads. The, the community came together and said, Greg, listen, I don't know what happened up there in Cincinnati, but you need to get your act together because you got what it takes to make it to the NFL. Because I had a coach, Pop Kittles. He was my kicking coach at FAMU, and he was, he was also the baseball coach. He was Vince's baseball coach. And Pop Kittles would always tell me in, in, in practice, he said, baby, if you do it when you're supposed to do it, they'll find a place for you in the NFL. And Pop Kittles instilled that in me to the point that I was dumb enough to believe it. <laughs> and I didn't care that there were no other African-American punters in the National Football League. And guys would say, hey, man, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be a punter in the National Football League. And they would laugh, almost like the, the, the ism and schisms regarding the black quarterback back in the day. Mm. But I was determined to make it. And I got an opportunity because Jake Gaither, who was the athletic director at Florida A&M at the time, athletic emeritus, had a relationship with the special teams coach, Al Tabor, with the Cleveland Browns. And Al Tabor gave me a shot. He said, you come on up. But during that same time, Brett, the Cleveland Browns went and drafted Tom Skladani in the second round out of Ohio State. I don't know if you remember that, but just giving you a little trivia question, uh, uh, history lesson here, Tom Skladani. Tom Spilladaney, second round. He didn't want to punt in Cleveland. Forrest Gregg was the coach. 
I got up in training camp, did my thing, did what I was supposed to do, stayed focused. I had some of those guys, some of those older mature guys at Cleveland who took me under their wing. Guys like Paul Warfield, Gerald Irons, Reggie Rucker. Uh, that was the the era during Brian Sipe and Greg Pruitt and all of those guys. And they say, hey, man, you got to stay focused. So I was. Skoladani uh, said, hey, I'm not going to play here. Forrest Greg said, the hell with Skoladani. Greg Coleman, you're my punter. Wow. And that's how I got a shot in the National Football League. How about second-round punter, Austin Amazing. Lane, before Gene Smith? Amazing. There was, I guess, another Brian GM. Anger, man, that was third <laughs> round, and that was like a culture shock. But, I mean, a second round, that's insane, man. Uh, Greg, you know, you mentioned it. You, man, you were the first African-American punter, and that's obviously something to hang your hat on. That's something to be very proud of. I talk to you now. We're in 2020, and a couple days ago, the NFL releases, you know, the the new Rooney rules. Basically, what got put in place was um, if a team was to hire a minority coach or a front office member, they would get draft capital. They would get a draft incentive. What were your thoughts behind that, not only from the new rule, but also how the NFL kind of, um, you know, displayed it, if you will? Well, I, I think sometimes you need to take your time and respond versus reacting, okay? Because I think the intent is there, but it comes down to relationships. And, and, and I think uh, Anthony Lynn, who's the Chargers coach, said, you know, sometimes you can do the wrong thing trying to do the right thing. I, I, I do believe, in, and I think Tony Dungy weighed in on it as well, if this, the intent, uh, if, if I'm hired because of the color of my skin, mm. how am I going to be viewed with the other men, the non-African-American coaches that, I'm, that are now on my staff? Mm. What would those relationships be, be like? I understand what the intent of the Rooney Rule is, and I think it's a good intention. But I do believe, and, and I said it earlier, take your time and respond versus reacting. I, I, I think if – here's – can I can I be brutally honest? Absolutely, please do. Okay, here, here's here's my take. Number one, I think owners, GMs, I think they jump the gun once the season is over. Okay? okay, they may want a certain coach, a certain type, a certain character, and all of those things. But because of this dog eat dog world, and I'm going to snatch this coach first, and I'm not going to wait on this best the best coach. I don't think there needs to be any hires whatsoever until after the Super Bowl. And then you get all the coaches, all the owners, and all the GMs, and you put them in a facility, just like you do the combine with players. And then you go interview those coaches, you interview those GMs, you give everybody a equal footing to be hired, to be interviewed, because by the time the season is over, the best people, some of the best people are still coaching. And they never get a chance. They never get an opportunity. You're telling me Eric Bannum has been the offensive coordinator <laughs> for Kansas City for those number of years. He leads them to a Super Bowl, and he doesn't get a shot as a head coach? I think the system is broken. I think the intent is in the right place, but they need to find a different way of motivating coaches, players, and owners. And I think you got to do it on equal footing. Right now, there's not an equal playing field and that's why some of the guys, some of the great minority coaches get left behind. 
Well put. We're talking a 12-year NFL vet and athlete, Greg Coleman, here joining us today on ESPN Thank 690. You, you're you're absolutely welcome, man. No problem, no problem. So, Greg, you obviously you, you have a lot of ties to Minnesota, and, and you have a lot of ties because you, know, you cover the team now, the Minnesota Vikings. When we talk about the modern-era NFL athlete, I'd like to bring up Stefan Diggs a little bit. Now, obviously from Jacksonville, we don't know what all transpired with Stefan Diggs, but from what we kind of saw it was the fact that he didn't want to be in Minnesota anymore. He wasn't happy he voiced his displeasure and essentially he got what he wanted he got traded away to buffalo and he's no longer you know in minnesota how do you feel about athletes these days because you know we have one of our own in jalen ramsey who voiced his displeasure and then wanted out and got what he wanted how do you feel about the modern era nfl athlete now compared to maybe like you know in the late 70s or early 80s when you were playing how much has it changed and just how do you feel about the whole situation it has changed dramatically okay uh here's what i say about divas and divas, I put in a classification of wide receivers, defensive backs. They all fall in that. They want the attention. They want the balls. But they all are competitors. And I have no problem with a guy wanting to be, you know, competing. If you, t- if you show me a wide receiver that doesn't want every ball thrown his way, I'll show you a sorry wide receiver. And for Digsy, I love the kid. And I, and I put it this way. I've been asked that question uh, so many times, but I put it this way. When it's time then it's time. And for Digsy, it was time. Hmm. Okay? In all fairness to him, he was a great competitor, great wide receiver. A lot of players get a new lease on life when, when, it, when it's a different surrounding, a different uniform, a different voice, uh, all of those things. Sometimes you can be competitive to a fault, and I think Digsy fell into that scenario. I think what the Minnesota Vikings got from that trade was – I didn't, there's no way that I thought we were going to get a first-round pick uh, for Digsy. But that's what you got. The modern-day athlete, it's a short stint. It's no longer. When I got to Minnesota, there were guys on that team that had been there 15, 16, 17, 18 years. I had a 10-year career there in Minnesota. But, but those things are free agency crippled a lot of players. Um, because you don't get players to stay with one team along, you know, th- throughout their careers. I mean, I mean, you have some great players here in Jacksonville. Um, Elias. Yep. I mean, correct. come on. Golly. I mean, I, you know, I talked to him during the offseason, saw him down at the Super Bowl, and, and when that whole thing transpired, you know, it blew my socks away. But it's a business. The game has migrated and transformed from a game to a multi-billion dollar business. And all you got to do is follow the money trail. And, 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 and I don't fault guys for trying to make as much as they can while they can because it's a short, it's a short window because of, of, of injuries and a coach's decision or a player's decision. There have been a lot of guys now that are walking away from the game because of injury. And they want to be around to, to play with their family, to hold their kids, to go to ball games and walk their daughters down the aisle. But it's a, it's a, it's a crazy business. And if you talk to most players, would they do it again if they had the opportunity? Most would say, yeah. There are a number of players who would say, no, it's not worth it. But there are a large majority that there are only, you know, uh, 1,500 jobs in the entire world that do what you do mm-hmm. and to get that golden opportunity to put on the, you know, to put on a helmet and to put on a Jersey, there's nothing like it. 
Without a doubt. There's nothing like it. Talking with Greg Coleman, uh, former NFL player, punter, uh, former Reigns Viking great, and uh, lives in the area part-time, covers the Minnesota Vikings now, uh, made a career of it up in Minnesota. Brent Martin, Austin Lane here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We're going to put a bow on I first have to ask you, how was your golf game today? Did you play? What did you shoot? <laughs> I didn't play today. Didn't play today. Had some chores around, but, uh, you know, I'm going to take another break. Uh, probably will play Friday. But there's a little pond out back, and last night there's a six-pound bass in this pond, and he broke my line twice, <laughs> and I am kicked to no end. And I came in last night, and I was fuming. My wife said, what is wrong with you? I said, that damn bass, he broke my line twice. And she said, honey, just chill. It's only a fish. I said, you don't get it. It's more than a fish. It ain't about just being a fish. So I'm going to hunt his big behind a little bit later this afternoon. <laughs> it's personal with that six-pounder. <laughs> it's personal, baby. It's personal. Hey, you know what's uh, Give us a final thought on this. The running back room in Minnesota has local ties. Dalvin Cook, of course, there's a lot of Florida State mm-hmm. fans and really think he's going to be a, a good player for a long time in the NFL. Have Michael Boone is a Jacksonville guy. I know McClenny, actually, Baker County. And he's found a home in Minnesota. Uh, that running back room, they like it up in Minnesota, don't they? Let me start with Booney. Booney came in as a rookie and just did everything that the coaches asked him to do. We drafted him out of Cincinnati, low-round draft choice, and came in and just lit the world on fire. Played special teams. He was attentive in, in, the, in the running back room. A great teammate. You know, got a chance to meet his family, his mom. Uh, w- what a great story. I mean, out of Baker County, you know, McClinney, Florida. And I said, homie. Come on, man. I mean, talk about another Jacksonville connection. Um, oh, gosh, my big offensive tackle. Rashad now. Hill. I'm drawing a blank. Rashad here. Hill. Rashad yeah. Hill. But I'm, I'm thinking about the big bass right about now, guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm focused here. You know, uh, Rashad Hill, he will get another opportunity to play. He's helped us immensely over the last three years. And uh, you talk about Dalvin Cook. Cookie is a special player. Um uh, had he not gotten injured, and I think that's been the knock on him, even when he was at State. Uh, but Cookie is the ultimate teammate. He's the ultimate competitor. And when he's on the field and healthy, the Minnesota Vikings are one of the most feared offenses in the entire National Football League. Because people talk about Kirk Cousins, and Kirk's a great quarterback. He had some tremendous numbers. But Dalvin Cook is the straw that stirs the drink with the Minnesota Vikings offense. I mean, I am so happy, so pleased with him. I, I followed him, you know, his career there up in Tallahassee and, and was just tickled pink. He's doing some great things off the field as well in the community. Uh, he and Booney both. So, uh, we are so fortunate to have those guys on, uh, on our, on our Viking squad, man. Yeah, we love the connection with Jacksonville. By the way, beautiful practice facility up there in Minnesota. Jax came up for a week a couple years ago. It was a lot of fun, a good trip. A little better in August than it might be in January up in Minnesota, right? (laughs) Well, you know, as a matter of fact, the Jags are on the schedule uh, this year uh, again. So looking forward to to that tilt. And, uh, you know, they're, they're always competitive. Uh, last year they came up and, and, and had some scrimmages, uh, during the, uh, you know, during pre-camp. But, uh, you know, with this COVID thing, uh, this is going to be a very interesting year, guys. All of the virtual training. I know, you know, how coaches are trying to teach. Coaches are going to earn their money this year, mm-hmm. not only in the pros, but in, in, in college and, 
in, in everybody who's a coach because you're not able to do hands-on things with players right now. So it's going to be a very, very interesting year, and, and I'm looking forward to it once again. Greg Coleman, I, sorry it took so long to get you on, man. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we do it again shortly and uh, at least at the golf course before you head back up north, all right? You got it. You got it, guys. Be well, stay safe, and God bless you. Go catch that bass. <laughs> Thanks, I'm Greg. I'm focused, guys. I'm focused. All right. <laughs> you got this. Uh, Greg Coleman from Reigns High School. Minnesota Viking played in the league for a long time. First African-American punter. You know, about that time, too, Reggie Roby was punter yeah. for the Miami Dolphins. Of course, I was a Dolphins a fan growing up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Still impressive, very good. He's a very good punter, too, and, yeah. and Coleman was as well uh, for a long time. That was an interesting story. I'm actually getting drafted now. I guess it's possible, right? Come back and teach a little bit and then go. Is it, though? I mean, I guess it would be because yeah. you can find your way. Well, sure. Maybe it's an arena league that you end up going to or something like that. But yeah. still a pretty unusual path Yeah. Uh, and a pretty cool one. What a great guy. That was fun. Uh, thanks to John Bachman for connecting us with uh, Greg Coleman. We've been talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. Glad we finally did. Um, and, and, by the way, a little known fact, if you missed it at the top, Cousins with Vince Coleman. Yeah. Uh, who obviously played at Reigns as well and started as a football guy, uh, ends up as, as one of the great base stealers of all time in Major League Baseball. When we come back, we talk more football. Underappreciated Jags. It's next on ESPN 690. This is a big day for our clubs. I think it's a big day for the NFL. I think it's a big day for sports. Uh, It's a big day for building confidence. Uh, We're going to be very deliberate, but we're also going to be very determined. We will keep a close eye on the comfort and care of our employees as uh, we're involved in this transition. We'll do it the right way. Dallas Cowboys opening their facilities and... All teams can, if allowed by state guidelines. Jacksonville Jaguars saying, hey, we're going to do it next week. We'll slow play this a little bit. There's nothing to be accomplished in the next few days. We can we can do it next Tuesday, and we'll see. So we'll see how it all goes down. I will say this about the NFL. I, I don't like to give one sport, one organization too much credit. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't feel like there's almost a responsibility of the NFL, even more so than college football. And... Maybe college football is in this mix, but I think it could have a totally different feel. So let's stick with the NFL. It's as simple as this for me. It's like if the NFL gets back and they're playing games in the fall, it will feel like life is normal. Now, the unemployment rate might still be outrageous. Mm -hmm. The economy might still be very difficult. People might still be getting sick, too. So I don't want to discount that. I'm just saying the feel of it. More than anything else, more than NASCAR and golf and UFC and uh, everything, baseball trying to figure it out, that, those will all be great, too. And by the way, if all those happen, then the NFL will happen. But there's just something about the NFL in the fall on the calendar that will make it feel like, OK, everything's OK, because they didn't miss a beat. It's like. Our life went on because the NFL went on. Now, again, that's a little bit of a selfish view, but I don't think I'm alone in that view. I I think the NFL has become – and football and fantasy football and betting and just our interest on Sundays or a Thursday night game or a Sunday night game has become such a part of our culture Hmm. that I think that will feel like normal. Nothing in the last two months has felt completely normal. For some of us, it hasn't felt that abnormal. Uh, but for some, it has been unbelievably abnormal. 
I would think uh, football in the fall, at least in these parts, and and I think across the country, would make uh, this feel like a, a sense of normalcy more than anything else, more than gas prices going higher, more than even jobs coming back. It just would feel like, okay, they didn't skip a beat. See, to me, this is where it gives football the ultimate advantage, but it also puts them behind the burner um, to the ultimate degree. And why I say that is, so the NFL and college football, they've had a chance to see how everything shakes down, okay? They've seen the NBA, what happened there. They've seen college basketball. They've watched the UFC. They've watched NASCAR. They've seen golf. They've seen every single sport and how they've handled the situation. The NFL and football in general has had the advantage of kind of waiting back and saying, all right, well, I like what they did here. I don't like this so much. So they've had a chance to critique it. They've had a chance to try to add to it and kind of shape it in the image that they think it's going to be right going forward. The problem is, though, that puts extra pressure now on football, right? Because if they do get started back up and there is a problem, it goes off with a hitch. Well, now it's like, you guys had how long to prepare for this? And now we're back to square one. Now we're back to the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. We're back to square one again. We're back to phase one. That can make the NFL look extremely bad. So they have the ultimate advantage if it works. But if it doesn't, it puts them at the ultimate disadvantage. Yeah, I, I, yeah. the NFL will have to be leaders on this in some regard. And they have been leaders. They said, hey, we're going to do the NFL draft whether you like it or not. That came with some criticism, and they yeah. did it, and they pulled it off, and that's okay. Uh, and they have shut down when they needed to shut some things down, like OTAs and mini camps and their, and their buildings. And now they're starting to open back up. And if they get on the uh, – again, they're leaders in our sports culture. Uh, that's just fact. I mean, look at the numbers. Look at the ratings. Look at the dollars. And they have a chance to be kind of a leader of this of normalcy, I think. I think uh, when we get back in September and they're playing, I'll, I'll tell you if my feeling is correct. <laughs> but my feelings uh, have been all over the place on all of this. All right. Uh, here's some feelings. Underappreciated Jags. I'm sure you played with some teammates. Daryl Smith. No said. Great, right? Great yeah. call. And, and not just the Jaguars. Underappreciated in the entire NFL. You know, it's interesting. I think there's two ways to look at it. Underappreciated by teams, underappreciated by fans. Daryl Smith might fit both, by the way, because Daryl Smith was let go at a time where I think in hindsight they would all said, from Gus Bradley to Dave Caldwell to everybody who made those moves, they would say, we shouldn't have let him go. There's that. How many Daryl Smith jerseys did you see back in the the early 2010s? Yeah, no. Daryl Smith became better as he was gone because you missed him. You know what I mean? Like he I got better in the view of the fans. You started to appreciate it more when he wasn't there. The appreciation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would say this to a degree about Puzz. Mm-hmm. Inside the building, maybe no player was more appreciated mm-hmm. than Puzz. Mm-hmm. Outside, especially with the vocal Jags fans, got a lot of criticism. Not really appreciated. Now, in hindsight, you look at the dismantling of that linebacking room since he's gone. I wonder if people would change their tune a little bit on that and say, man, that guy... Maybe it was a valuable piece. That might be given too much credit, but I'm just curious about Puzz. Puzz is an interesting one in this conversation to me because I do remember him getting beat up pretty much by the fans, whether it was covering tight ends or not, or, or the media was overvaluing him, or coaches were saying too many nice things about him, and the fans didn't always feel the same way. Now, there's a segment of the population absolutely loves Puzz Lesney. I mean, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, but there, there was a vocal part of the fan base at that time that was like, yeah, what? I mean, come on. Well, yeah, and I agree with you there. But where I disagree is, you know, who is more undervalued, Puzz or Daryl Smith? At least people were talking about Puzz. 
Okay, yeah, like yeah. oh, I would say Daryl Smith the, was more underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of got the sense that no one was even talking about Daryl Smith. I remember 2011, Brent. The dude had 11 quarterback hits, seven tackles for a loss, 107 combined tackles, and didn't even. And by the way, three and a half sacks didn't even get a sniff, not even a sniff of a Pro Bowl vote. Yeah, not even close. I, I'll tell you what, man. To be honest with you, I mean, I'm covering the team day in day out. Mm. And I'm not sure we all understood until he was gone, until people talked about him in hindsight, how valuable Daryl Smith was to the team. Now, listen, I love Daryl Smith. He was an awesome guy. I knew he was a very good player and a probably underrated player. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know, like, how much of a mistake. Like, when Daryl Smith got late, I was like, okay, that's kind of – he's getting a little older, but Mm -hmm. they must know more than we know about the way he plays. And he's not making Pro Bowls. Well, again, it was one of the worst moves Dave Caldwell made. Mm-hmm. is getting rid of guys like him. Yeah. And there were probably a couple of examples of that. But anyone that had a, a, a birth certificate that said uh, you were about to be 30 years old, basically they got rid of. And, <laughs> sure. and Daryl Smith fit that. Yeah, he did. And the Jags made a mistake in that. They needed more Daryl Smiths around mm-hmm. at the time. So I almost feel like his his appreciation grew from everybody mm-hmm. in not the building, out of the building, in the media after he was gone, which is kind of a shame. So the thing about Daryl Smith, which was his biggest detriment, had nothing to do with what he brought to uh, like on the football field. Because the reason why we knew and the reason why our opponents knew that Daryl Smith was such a great linebacker is because we broke down film, Brent. And every single film session, we'd come in after a win or loss, we'd sit in a film room as a, a defense, watch the film, and all of a sudden Daryl Smith makes a play that no other linebacker could probably make. And we all turn around like, what the hell? But guess what? He would never celebrate. He would never let you know about it. He, he would go calm, cool, collected, and just do his job. He was never that rah-rah type of guy. Now, Puzz sometimes, Puzz was that guy on the field. You know, Puzz kind of had that switch that he flipped a little bit. Daryl Smith was even more, um, you even know, keel. Co- yeah, even yeah. keel and calm and collected. But I'm telling you, man, when you watch film on him and you saw play after play, that's why you played for a guy like that. We didn't need Daryl Smith to try to be the rah-rah guy and break down the huddles and everything and get us in a circle before the game and Chan Duval. We didn't need that. All we needed Daryl Smith to do is exactly what he did. And unfortunately, you know, from a fan's perspective and even from media's perspective, well, you know, when you have this guy that's really quiet and has this kind of calm demeanor and sometimes you see it on the field as well, it's like he can kind of go unnoticed a little bit. So that that was Daryl Smith's biggest detriment. And it's not his fault. I mean, I actually encourage him to be like that because that's who he was. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I think that was kind of a detriment to him. Yeah, it's an honorable thing to be able to do it like that. The problem is in this day and age, especially if you're not making yourself known or if you're not winning <laughs> games, you're not going to be known. Yeah. So it's one or the other. Like, you can not win games, but you kind of have your own little brand, and you make your own brand, and you're Mm -hmm. making yourself known. Mm -hmm. Well, then you might get into Pro Bowls and things. And I think uh, Daryl Smith was kind of that guy uh, that he was kind of went unnoticed a lot of the times. All right, uh, who are the underappreciated Jags now? Uh, Who who do we not appreciate enough on this roster? Are there a couple of those? Uh, Does it start with Gardner Minshew? Let's bring Steven in. He's on the line. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. You're welcome to call in, too. 904-362-9901. Star Star 690. Underappreciated Jags. Go, Steven. Oh, yeah. You know Gardner Minshew is underappreciated by everybody, even local fans. And I think it is just a big load of BS. You look at his stats. Brent, you liked the tweet I did Monday of saying how he dissected the Broncos and the Jets getting out of the pocket. Even that pass during the Jets that thread the needle pass to DJ Chark in the corner. And I started thinking about it when you mentioned Jay Gruden coming in as our new offensive coordinator. Pass first kind of guy. You look at Minshew's college career with Mike Leach, pass first kind of guy. Led the nation in passing yards. 
I think it's just going to work out perfectly, and he's going to surprise everybody, and I'll take it up a notch when you guys did bets on the record for the year. I'm going to split it down the middle. They they go 8-8 eight and eight surprising everybody. All right, wow. Stephen, appreciate it. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We'll get into that part of it in just a bit because I've got another topic about 8-8 eight and, eight and expectations, mm-hmm. uh, but this one's different. Underappreciated Jags. I think it was Bill Barnwell who uh, wrote this uh, story, and now, of course, I can't find it, uh, so I'll give him credit for it. But he had – this one will surprise people. Yeah, I've been curious to hear who this is going to be. I haven't seen it yet. He had Andrew Norwell. <clears throat> You're just like a fan. How am I a fan? How am I a fan when Andrew Norwell is like one of the highest paid guards in the NFL and does he play like it? Well, because I think we've had so these what discussions are we talking about, about Brent. Well, because he he gets looked at, I think, as this is my guess where Barnwell's coming from and really might be right. Norwell gets looked at this guy who's been an absolute disaster. One, because of health and two, because of getting turned around a few times. And that's what we notice. Uh, I think it was uh, John Oger from Jaguars.com that kind of shared it with me this way. I, th- I thought this was a good way to say it. Uh, I'll give him credit, even though I really don't like him. But uh, <laughs> the he said, you know, guys on the offensive line, they make like two or three bad plays, and you're like bad. Mm-hmm. And they don't take into account the other 57 plays during a game that you did your job on or, or might have even done well. Okay. Defensive line, your occupation – yeah, yeah. 57 plays, you did okay. You might even made a mistake or two, didn't hit your gap the right way, missed a tackle here or there. But if you make three plays and make a sack or mm-hmm. a forced fumble or a, or a loud tackle, mm-hmm. well, then you're praised. Okay. So it's an interesting I, – I thought – seriously, it is an interesting, even though I don't like him very much. Osha brings up a very good point. You know, it's all about perception. So from that standpoint, does Barnwell have a point where, yeah, it might have been two or three plays at some times, might have been even every three games for Norwell, but the other times he was playing really good football. We just don't notice it because we remember the two or three plays every month mm. that that were pretty noticeable. Is Andrew Norwell a top five guard in the NFL? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know if I can name five guards in the NFL. Zach Martin, Shree from Washington. Um... Yeah, I'm having trouble too. <laughs> Thirty, Thirty from New England. Um, Listen, he should Andres not be Pete the highest from... paid guy. He's not playing like the highest paid guy. I think that's fair. Then what are we talking about? Well, because he's still because people well, want to like, run him out of town because he's paid that he, way. But, but that's he's like underappreciated. Saying... Like, listen, to me, you're underappreciated if your value outweighs what you're making. Like, to me, like underappreciated. So, like, the Jaguars paid Angelo the most money a guard was making at the time when they signed him. Do you know why? Because they thought he was the best guard in the league. That's what the money said. He comes in, and one could argue that Andrew Norwell is not the best guard in the league. Now, is Andrew Norwell bad? Absolutely not. I think he's actually a pretty legit guard. But I don't think he's a top five guard, okay? And if we're talking about underappreciated players, I mean, I don't know, Brent. Like, I look at that Jaguars offensive line last year, and... What did I talk about? They, if it was a fourth and one, how much did you trust them to make a first down? You didn't, okay? At the defensive line, we'll talk about the defensive line. How much did you trust them to stop a running play on a fourth and one? You really didn't. So it's hard for me to come along with you here on Andrew Norwell and say he's underappreciated when the sum of its parts, and I get it, it's the sum of its parts. It's not just Norwell here I'm talking about, but the entire offensive line last year I thought underachieved a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's just, I, I, I'm just I, I I don't know if I would have gone to Andrew Norwell either. I'm telling you, that's where Barnwell went on it, mm-hmm. and I also can make the case that he's so much better than people perceive him to be. 
Now, whether that's underappreciated or not, I don't know. That's a fair point well, in your definition. Why don't we go Brandon Linder, though? Uh, that's a good call. There you go. Hey, it's up for anybody. Who do you want to go? Listen, I think you can make. You want to know who I think you can make the case for? Let's hear it. But you're going to tell me the same thing probably on the Norwell front Uh-oh. because the investment. First of all, I do think you can make the case for Minshew outside of Jacksonville. I think he's appreciated inside Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. outside Jacksonville, I think Linder's a great call there. Mm-hmm. I think you can make this for Fournette. For on the field, is he appreciated enough? Look at the numbers he's put up. He caught 76 passes last year. But what you're going to come back and tell me is like he's a top five pick, Brent. They could have had eight other running backs that year instead of Fournette. Well, I get it, but it's not like the guy's been a bum. Mm. You know, he's had productive seasons. He had the one bad year off the field, on the field, everything. But two of his three years have been very productive. Again, I, I will give... I will give Leonard Fournette way more tr- more credit than probably he even deserves for 2017. But he doesn't get enough for 17. Yes, they should have picked Sean Watson. They should have picked Patrick Holmes. They probably should have picked Christian McCaffrey or name your running back later on. But that year, he helped them get to the AFC Championship game. And I am convinced if they had picked anybody else, they would not. Have made it there. They needed a mentality change. They needed the bell cow. They needed the physical runner, the way they were designing things and going to run things. Everything they needed, he was. He scored touchdowns. I mean, the phone call was Tom Coughlin saying, hey, we need you to score touchdowns. He scored 10 of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that I still feel like I mean, they tried to trade him away for sunflower seeds this offseason. Yeah. I would say I'm not sure he's even appreciated enough inside at times. It's it's not a bad observation, you know, and listen, for what he meant to that offense last year, I agree with you, Brent, because he was the offense last year. I mean, yeah, DJ Chark had a good season as well. He was essentially but, last year, Maurice Jones drew, when sure. Maurice Jones drew, ran yeah. for, and won the Russian yeah. title against eight or nine man boxes. Where I, I think Jaguar fans obviously get rubbed the wrong way a little bit because they think of Maurice Jones drew. And when they did stack the box, what happened? Maurice Jones Drew was a rushing leader, okay? With Leonard Fournette, like, yeah, he, he breaks a, you know, a long one every once in a while, but people are accustomed to seeing Leonard Fournette get hit behind the line a little bit. Now, is that Leonard Fournette's fault in general? It could be the offensive line's fault as well, okay? It's not just him. But I think people have that, you know, that preconceived notion in their minds where it's like, oh, here goes another one or two yard, you know, Fournette run, as opposed to like a Maurice Jones Drew carry where it was like four or five yards falling forward, okay? So I agree with you on the underappreciated, but I think Leonard Fournette's underappreciated because of what he does for that offense. But I see where you're coming from. But I, I'm, listen, I'm going to go Linder all day because I think nobody talks about Linder. I think for the price that he's making, and we can make an argument he's one of the highest paid centers yet, but not I think anymore. He's not like anymore. He's yeah. on the road now. But, but, but I think like. In terms of price, in terms of what he brings to the team, obviously the leadership, Brandon Linder underappreciated all day. And I think Andrew Norwell is a great player, but where he was paid and where, I, I mean, he's Andrew Norwell. We know who he is. All right. Uh, I want to go on the defense side of the ball. We're missing somebody on the defensive side of the ball. When we come back, and then expectations in Jacksonville. Are they the lowest they've been since when? It's next on ESPN 690. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.